Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. on in our Revelation study, and this is uh, part three, and I've titled it The Beatitudes of Revelation. We know of the eight Beatitudes in the book of Matthew, uh, but how many of you have studied the seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation? And that's what I want to look at, because they're actually uh, quite fascinating. And the first one that we're going to look at is Revelation 1.3, so if we can turn there, and we've been over this these three scriptures for this is the third week where we've been looking at the same scriptures but revelation 1 3 says blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near there this is a beatitude where you're blessed for just doing something as simple as reading it now in, that, in the Greek, it does go a little deeper, and that's what I want to quickly look at. And this is from the Amplified Version of, of the same Scripture. And it says, Blessed and happy and to be envied. So if you read the book of Revelation, people will envy you. Maybe not in this life, but at least in the next life, when they see how blessed you are. Blessed and happy to be envied is the man who reads aloud. So I'm going to be blessed because I'm going to read aloud what's in the book of Revelation. So if you want to be blessed, go home and read it aloud. So the man who reads aloud in the assemblies. So I'm even more blessed now from doing this. So that's why I want to continue with the book of Revelation because it's going to bring a huge amount of blessing to me. All right? So you're, you're going to be totally sick of it because I'm going to spend the rest of my life preaching from the book of Revelation. But it also says this for you guys as well. Happy and to be envied are those who hear it uh, and hear it read. So if you hear it read, you're going to be blessed. And who keep themselves true to the things which are written in it. So there's things that are written in the book of Revelation that if you keep yourself true to those things, you're going to be blessed. And I think we want to be blessed. Now, a lot of the things that are written in the book of Revelation, and we're going to read through the seven Beatitudes this morning, those things aren't what you would normally expect uh, you know, a, a, an expect of a person to actually have to live by, in the, according to the world, right? The world would say you're blessed if you get heaps of money and you get a beautiful big house and you've got a beautiful wife and a beautiful family and everything is beautiful. That would be blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So it's like a, what? I thought people that are mourning, they're not blessed. They're mourning, they're sad, they're depressed. But Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are the meek. We're going to even look quickly through the Matthew uh, Beatitudes as well. So it says, I'll go back a little bit. Who reads the word of this prophecy and blessed, happy to be envied are those who hear it read and who keep themselves true to the things which are written in it, heeding them, meaning like hearing them and obeying them and laying them to heart. 
So placing them in your heart and living by them, making them the, the basis of the way you live your life. For the time for them to be fulfilled is near. Now, it says that 2,000 years ago, right? That, that time for the book of Revelation to be fulfilled is near. Now, we have to look at the Greek word near, which I actually didn't do any study on that because I didn't plan to say anything about near. But if you think about it from a biblical perspective, there's many references to the word near, and it doesn't sort of mean in the next year or two. It always means it's near because God says, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God. So near to God is a thousand years away. To us, that's a long way away. But to God, he's outside of time. He's not bound by time. But these things are near. Okay, so studying the book of Revelation will help us to know our Bibles so much better and convince us of the Bible's infallibility. And what I'm, what I'm saying in that is, is when you read the book of Revelation written in around 90 A.D., it aligns with things written in the book of Genesis, like in Genesis, in 4,000 years before. So there's all these uh, cross-referencing that happens from Revelation, and it aligns perfectly. It proves that the book of Revelation, or the, at least the Bible, is infallible in itself. It's a cohesive whole. It was, the Bible was written in a span of around 1,800 years or more, I'm not sure exactly, I think actually Genesis, when I said 4,000 years, I was wrong in that. But it's, it's written in a span of time by many, 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 many different authors. But they all seem to go together. It's like it was written by one author. And that's why we believe it's the Word of God. Because it was like God spoke through and used his people throughout time to write this thing. And we're going we're gonna to see that really clearly as we continue through the book of Revelation. And it's going to give us a rock-solid faith in Jesus. You know, and that's what we need in these troubled times, in a troubled life where the world is... is, is it's, we're going through some crazy things in the world. You know, ISIS is rising in the Middle East and it's doing, you know, wreaking havoc over there. The world is, is turning crazy. You know, some parts of the world, I know there's parts of every city in the world where you just simply can't walk in. You know, because it's so dangerous. So we're living in very, very troubled times. And we need to know that there is something that we can rest our hope on. Something that is sure that we can put our foundation down into. Because if you don't have something to sink your foundation into, what hope is there? You tell me one hope that you could lay your life on outside of the Scriptures. And you know what? There's been so many people that on their deathbed, they'll realize that really, you know, I remember there was one quote I read of an atheist who was a staunch atheist, a world-renowned atheist, and on his deathbed, he said, you know what gives me at this time, if I knew that my, my eternal life was going to be just an endless sleep, because that's what atheists think, you're just going to die and that's it, he said, I would be happy. He said, but what makes me very, very uncomfortable is what if the Bible's true? And he's an atheist, strong atheist. While he's healthy, you can be a confident atheist, can't you? But when you're on your deathbed, you're about to go into that place that you've been confidently declaring there's nothing there for your whole life. And at that moment you go, what if the Bible's true? Because if it's true, 
I've rejected it my whole life. I've ran from it. I haven't followed it. I didn't want to know about it. I put it behind me. And it's a scary place to be. Because he then added, if it's true, I am damned. Because he stamped underfoot Jesus Christ. He rejected the only source of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus Christ. Buddha won't save you. He died and he's buried and he's still in the grave. Muhammad died. He's still in the grave in Medina somewhere. He's dead. He died. He's gone. You go through Baha'u'llah of of the Baha'is and the Bab. (laughs) You love that name, don't you? They're dead. They died and they're in the grave. But Jesus Christ is the only one who died and raised again. And not only that, he said he would raise again. He said death has no power over him. And he would die for three and a half days just so he could go into the death realm to reach out to those that had died before he came and to those in paradise with Abraham. That's where he went. He had to go there because they were waiting for him there. Paradise was waiting for Jesus Christ to enter because that's what Abraham's hope was. So Jesus had to die for our sins, salvation of all men. He went into paradise and then he led captives in his train, meaning he left and they all followed him and everyone who died in Christ from that moment forward would follow him and be with him for eternity. It's the most wonderful hope in the universe. It's the most glorious thing that we have, isn't it? You know, but without Jesus, you have nothing. You have only this life, and all you've got to look forward to is death, certain death, because death will come. And if you don't have Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus will discard of those who've rejected him. And, and I call, that's what we call hell, and that's what I call the eternal rubbish dump, where those creations that rejected the creator get thrown and discarded forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But the, this is the sad thing. They're aware that they're, they're discarded forever and ever and ever. They're consciously aware that they've rejected their only source of salvation. And that's a sad place. You don't want to be there. I, I, you know what keeps me honest in Christ? You know what keeps me... Um, holding to my faith with all my strength and keeps me passionate day after day after day is I don't want to go to hell. I want to do the right thing and and honour my God and not bring shame to him. And that keeps keeps me living the right way as best I can. Doesn't mean I don't muck up. Who mucks up here? Anyone muck up? I don't want to muck up. Who hates mucking up? <laughs> yeah. Our only source of salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, can science save a man? Can science save you? I know my brother-in-law is a stem cell researcher. He's trying to be, find biological immortality. Why? So he can just get older and older and older but stay alive somehow? We've, we've been given biological immortality in Jesus Christ. And we'll be given a resurrection body far better than this one. No stem cell research is going to be able to create an imperishable body like the one we're going to receive. You know what I mean? They're trying to create super soldiers. But super soldiers will die. If anyone doesn't know about super soldiers, do some research. But super soldiers aren't immortal. 
right? But we're going to be far greater. We've been promised an imperishable body. At the resurrection of the dead, Jesus will come and the angels will sound their trumpets. There will be a loud trumpet blast and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who are, uh, have died over all history, their bodies will be given back to their souls. To be uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the, the moment you die, if you're in Jesus Christ, your soul is present with Jesus that moment. So that's why Christians throughout, a t- throughout the last 2,000 years have called death sleep. Death is simply sleep. We just go to sleep. You know, it might be a painful entrance into sleep. Who knows? Let's hope it's not. But if it is, it might be a painful entrance, but we go to sleep and then we receive, we, our, our spirit goes straight to be with the Lord. But when the Lord returns at the second coming and he said he's going to return, and just like he said he was going to raise to life after three and a half days, he will return. And when he comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. So all of those, all of us who have left our bodies here on earth will receive them back, but far better than this. They'll be imperishable. They won't be able to perish. And those bodies will connect with their souls and you'll be given imperishable bodies. It'll be beautiful. And then those who are still alive at the coming of the Lord, those who are alive on the planet, will be raised up to be with him. And, it, and in Matthew 24, it says that the angels of heaven swoop down, pick up those who are in Christ, who are alive at his second coming, and bring them to him. And as we get brought to Jesus, our bodies, if, if just say I'm alive at that time, my body will be transformed as I get brought to the Lord. And it says you'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. That's quicker than you can blink. A twinkling of the eye is a light speed, a little, you know, when light hits your eye, there's a twinkle. That's how quick he'll change us. He's not going to have to strain. And, and Jesus will not strain to cause a resurrection of all the dead that have ever lived in him. He will not strain to make that thing happen. Because we have an awesome God beyond all imagination, beyond all power. He created the entire universe. He created some of the biggest planets you could ever imagine. And do you think it's going to make him strain to raise the dead? See, the earthly bound mind will think, this sounds ridiculous. This sounds stupid. But to those that believe that God who created the universe, nothing is impossible for God. Amen? Nothing. One of the blessings which will come upon us will be a greater and deeper knowledge of the Word of God. So as we continue to read the book of Revelation, we're going to receive a great blessing with deeper knowledge and understanding of the Bible. Now, I want to give you an example of this. If, if we can just quickly turn to Revelation 12.1. And I'm sure if you've read the book of Revelation, this would have stood out to you. It's called The Woman and the Dragon, in my Bible at least. Revelation 12.1, and it says this, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. So remember that, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So 12 stars. Now, if we just read that, we can make up all sorts of stories about what that all means. But we're going to go and have a look in Genesis 37.9. So Genesis 37.9, and you remember Joseph had a dream in Genesis 37.9. And in, in this dream, and he told this dream to his brothers, and he said, listen, 
I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father this, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground? So mother and I, meaning the sun and the moon, and 11 stars, the 11 brothers of Joseph, right? So who, who, who are we talking about here? The family of Israel. In Genesis 37, 9, we read that Joseph had a dream of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him, and we discovered this is referencing Israel. So in this dream, we, uh, in Revelation 12, 1, John, in the, in the vision, is seeing Israel giving birth to a child, a male child who will rule the nations. And is Jesus an Israelite? Was Jesus an Israelite? He was. So now we understand from referencing the Old Testament what is being said. And it's very, very clear in Scripture. Now, the only difference here, it's Joseph had a dream of 11 stars. In Revelation 12, it said 12 stars. So what's the difference? Well, the, Joseph himself is the 12th star. So, he's, so the 12 stars make sense, doesn't it? 11 stars was the brothers of Joseph, but Joseph was the 12th star. So obviously this woman is symbolic of Israel. The Roman Catholic Church teach that this woman is the Virgin Mary. See, they come along and said, no, 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 she's Mary, the mother of God. My answer to that is, sorry, God doesn't have a mother. And that woman is clearly not Mary. It's clearly referencing Israel. So you can see, if you don't go and reference Old, Old Testament Scripture and align it with what we're reading in the book of Revelation, we fail to understand the fullness of what Revelation is, is revealing to us. We cannot interpret Revelation without referencing the Old Testament. We'll just quickly look at this Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 2.15, and I'll read it even if you can get there. Get there. Do your best, and this is a, a, a recommendation from Paul to Timothy, but it could just about be a recommendation to us, not just about be, it is a recommendation to us. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. When we study Scripture, we must study it diligently. We must do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth or rightly divides the word of truth. You must rightly divide the Bible to understand the Bible. And that's why most people get so lost in it, is because they just pick it up and have a read, or they might watch a documentary about the Bible, and they'll believe everything that's said in the documentary. And usually a documentary about the Bible isn't by, you know, if you're watching on normal TV, it's normally by someone that's probably got a vendetta against the Scriptures. But we've got to read it and understand it and know the truth of it. Amen? The term beatitude comes from the Latin noun beatu, beatudo, which means happiness. They echo the highest ideals of the teachings of Jesus on mercy, spirituality, and compassion. And that was from Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. You can always trust it. Each beatitude is an almost direct contradiction of society's uh, typical way of life. A direct contradiction. The best example of each trait is found in Jesus himself. If our goal is to become like him, the Beatitudes will challenge the way we live each day. So 
if your goal is to become like Christ, then that really is the whole message of Christianity, become like your Lord. And if you were to describe Jesus, how would you describe Jesus? You've got to think about this. Who was Jesus in your eyes? How do you see him? What does he mean to you? What character traits did he have? Firstly, did he do any wrong? Did Jesus do any wrong at all? If you think he's done some wrong, you mustn't have been reading the Bible. You must have listened to some atheist teacher somewhere. He didn't do any wrong. Did he express love in all its forms? Pure love. Not lustful love, but pure love. This is another thing. Was he married? <laughs> no, he didn't get married, so that doesn't mean we all get divorced and stay single. Um, but he didn't get married. So he didn't marry Mary Magdalene. All right? The Da Vinci Code is the Da Vinci Con, as Joe Schimmel so, uh, expresses it. So it, was he the most wonderful person that ever walked on the face of the earth? You know, the, the Old Testament said, a bruised reed, a bruised reed, he will not break. Meaning, someone who's broken, he will not break them anymore. He will restore people gently. He will love people. He will get, be so self, uh, um, selfless that he will give everything of himself. He'll pour himself out for you. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. People don't understand the cross. They think, oh, what, why did God need to die on a cross? If Jesus was God, you know, why did he die on the cross, you know, for our sins? You know, couldn't there be a better way? Well, you know, let's think of it from a human perspective. You, are you hungry? Oh, you're getting hungry? If I keep on preaching, I'm sure you're going to get really hungry. Right? And, but we get hungry every day, don't we? Now, any of you are vegetarian here? Or even if you are a vegetarian. You're a vegetarian, Matthew. Even if you are a vegetarian and you're eating potatoes, did a potato bush die so you can eat that potato? Did a cow or a sheep or something die so that you could eat and receive life from it? Because if you don't eat, you're going to die. So for you to live, something must die. This is a universal law, guys. We live because things have died to provide our sustenance. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear, isn't it? Everything lives because something else dies. Right now, now fitting into that whole universal understanding, that whole universal law, Jesus had to die so that we could live. Now, just because you don't fully grasp it doesn't mean it's true. You know, how many people, you know, for, for centuries have never known what food does in their stomach, have never known how it sustains them, but they know they need it. They need it. You know, you need that mashed potato to keep alive. <laughs> I don't know why that represented mashed potato. But, <laughs> but we need food, don't we? We might not understand what it does inside us, but we know we need it. We don't know why Jesus had to die completely and totally yet. But we know we need him. And you know what? The only, the only way a man will not receive salvation is by totally and utterly rejecting Jesus Christ in every way, shape, and form. Just push him away. No, I will not show my need for anyone but myself. I don't need God. I just need myself. But that confidence soon perishes when you're on your deathbed. Amen? 
and you're there, you're on your deathbed, you haven't got many moments to go, and then you go, man, that guy that I heard preach, Rob, was he right? (laughs) Was he speaking the truth? Is the Bible true? As the saying goes, don't be found dead without Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm not going to discourse on this very much, but let's just turn there quickly. Matthew 5. I just want to try to get to the, um, the, through the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. But these are the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew. So that, and I'm sure most of you, even if you haven't read the Bible of late, you will have probably heard these. So from chapter 5 it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Does that sound like the sort of teaching you'll get from a motivational seminar? It doesn't, does it? Years ago, I was into wealth creation in the sense of um, it was all motivational speakers, you know, um, Anthony Robbins and guys like that, James Rowan, Tracy... uh, Tracy O'Brien, Brian Tracy, yeah, not Tracy Brian, Brian Tracy. <laughs> um, you never hear anything remotely like that. Jesus is so radical, it's not funny. But this is what he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're poor in spirit, we get told we've got to you know, be full of confidence and strong and assertive in this life, but the poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. You want comfort? Then mourn. I see that from the perspective of if you mourn because of, your, of the wretched state of your life, because you know you've rebelled against God, you've got to mourn in relation to that. But also, if you are that concerned for your fellow person, fellow neighbor, if you're that concerned that you, you love people like you should love them, Because really, the human race suffers from one thing. This is what causes all the woes on the planet, lack of love. Why does one country go to war against another country? Because they don't love them. They don't love their neighbor. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. If everyone lived by that, man, that would it. That would solve all the world's problems. But we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We hate our neighbors. When was the last time you spent two hours on your face because of a friend of yours that's dying of cancer? When have you cried and wept before God because your friend is going to die? What about your enemy? When was the last time you spent two hours on your face because someone that you don't like is dying of cancer? 
Love your enemies. Do good to those that want to harm you. You know what I mean? That's, that's true Christianity. We don't love as we should. If we loved as we should, we would pray as we should and we would mourn for those that we love and we would mourn for those that we don't even know. You know, some of the greatest moves of God in the past have come about because certain men of God got such a burden for souls that they would just spend hours per day on their face crying before God because of the state of their community around about them for just how far gone they were. And you know what? This was back hundreds of years ago when the communities were nothing like we're living among. We're living in a time where the, our culture is so corrupt, we're desensitized. We don't even realize anymore just how bad it is. It's hard to even discern right from wrong anymore because everything is so corrupt at such a level of corruption, you can't see the light. We're finding it difficult to, what is right and wrong in this situation? You know? So this is the power of the Beatitudes. Anyway, let's go on to the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. And I'm going to go quickly through this so I don't hold you much longer. Uh, Revelation 1.3, we already know this one. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So we know that one. Let's go to Revelation 14, 13. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now this is an interesting blessing, a beatitude. And listen to it. It flies in the face of what we think is the norm. It, it's, it doesn't wash with the, what we're used to hearing in, in, through the media and, and where we get our information and what we think life is all about. He says, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Or blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, what, what he's talking about now is if we go back to verse 9, and it says this in Revelation 14, verse 9, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image, and receive his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, etc. Now what this is talking about is a time where the whole world will come under the control of one world government, and that one world government will issue a mark, and that mark will allow you to buy and sell. There's been no time in history like the present time where the possibility of a mark, a, they've been thinking it's a silicon chip, it could be a, like a silicon-type tattoo or whatever. There's been no other time in history where the possibility of this taking place was possible. You know, we've got now um, chip cards, haven't we? Mastercards with a chip in them. And those chips, you can scan them, just wave past the wave thing, and it takes your money. Now, the only problem with that is if someone steals my card, they could go and make, you know, 50 transactions really quick for, you know, under $100, and all this money goes out of my account. Right? So what are they going to do? They're going to solve that problem, and it's already being introduced in certain parts of the world. You can actually willingly take a, a, a mark. They reckon it's like a tattoo, um, and it could be clear. I'm not sure of the whole nature of it yet. But you could literally just wave your arm and that's definitely yours because it belongs to my body. 
I can't have stolen it. You know what I mean? So that, that's the technology is around now. It's already been created. They've just got some problems with implementing it. That's the only reason it's not in right now. So the Bible's been speaking about this for 2,000 years, that there's going to be a time where a mark is going to be given and you won't be able to buy and sell unless you had the mark. 2,000 years. Now the technology is available. It's called RFID technology. 2,000 years. It's been in the Bible and no one could see it being fulfilled. They tried... You'd imagine they, they would find it confusing to read. We read it now, 2,000 years later. Oh, yeah, yeah well, that technology is around. Yeah, that's possible. But we, we have to realize, hang on, doesn't that just authenticate the Bible? Right? And you, you listen to government leaders. They want that sort of technology being implemented. They want humans to take a mark. And the Bible says if you take the mark of the beast, that you will not be received in the kingdom of heaven. Firstly, it'll be willingly. You'll just take it willingly. The second step, will, it'll be forced. They'll say, on such and such a day, all the MasterCards and every card with a silicon chip is going to be cut off. And unless you have the new RFID stamp on your wrist or on your forehead, you won't be able to buy and sell. And that's where Christianity is going to be rocked like you would not believe. And that's when I believe the persecution is going to start breaking out. Because so many of us will not take the mark. But there'll be many Christians that will say, I don't believe the Bible is that true. You know, come on. Just take it. You know, you, you can keep buying and selling and, you know, live your life. But there's going to be these hardcore, crazy, fanatics, loopies, you know, people that should have their heads chopped off that are going <laughs> to reject it. And we're going to not be able to buy and sell. So there'll be Christians literally starving, having to depend on God for their daily bread. You know what I'm saying? Now, this day is coming. The Bible said it was going to come, and now we're at a point where it is coming. Does this hold true? You know, can you see what I'm talking about? Now, this is a beatitude, guys, that if you get back to it, Revelation 14, 13, this beatitude says this, that following this time when the mark of the beast is implemented, there's going to be a time where anyone who dies in the Lord will be blessed. Why does it say that? Because if we live by this, if we take that beatitude to heart and say, yes, no matter what, I'm not going to receive that mark because that's certain hell for me. I'm not going to reject Christ by taking the mark. I'd rather die of starvation than that. But it'll also cause the Christians to truly be faithful, to test their faith. Well, God's going to have to provide for me now because money won't. I can't continue in the old system of things. I have to now trust God for all my provision. And from that moment forward, you'll pray like you've never prayed before. You'll live a Christian life like you've never lived before. But it's going to mean persecution because we're going to be spotted. They'll probably have a scanning device and they'll be scanning masses of people. Anyone who doesn't come up with a RFID scan, get him. Boom, they'll be charging on you. Because <laughs> the Bible says that will happen. The Bible also says that the official form of execution will be beheading. And sorry to throw this all at you today, but that's what the official cause of execution will be in those days. Why am I teaching this? Because we live in a day when the Bible is being fulfilled, the end time scenarios are starting to be fulfilled as we live, as we look at the evening news, we see it being fulfilled. 
There has been no other time in history where we could watch these things taking place. Now, I'm not going to say when Jesus is going to return. I'm not one of those false prophets that will declare, Jesus is going to return on the 23rd of January, such and such. It's crazy to do that. Why would you do that? Why would you risk your credibility when Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour? But he said, watch for the signs. Watch for the signs. The signs will be there. They'll be clearly evident before your eyes. You will know Jesus is not far. Jesus is not far. He's coming. And so make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. Take these Beatitudes to heart. Be prepared. Be prepared for some troublesome times. If you're a true Christian, if you don't want trouble in these times ahead, and actually no one will be um, uh, devoid of trouble, everyone will fall into trouble in some form. Whether you're a Christian or not, there's going to be some terrible times. Because Jesus says the times that are ahead are worse than any other time in history, and they're so bad that they will never, never be equaled again. Are we prepared for that? When I say this, I always, whenever I've said this in our Western setting in in Adelaide, I I usually get like, I can see people agree with me, but I can see it's nearly like, hmm, I don't know, because it's so calm out there. (laughs) You know, we live in a very nice community, you know, especially here in Mitcham, it's a beautiful beautiful part of Adelaide. Actually, most of the parts of Adelaide where we live are beautiful, aren't they? What about if I was saying this in Iraq at the moment? If I was preaching this to Christians in Iraq, would they be agreeing with me? They would be. They'd be going, yeah, we see it on the street every single day, people getting cut down. All through the Middle East, if I was preaching this in, the, in those countries, they'd be saying, yes, we agree with you because we see our neighbours getting their heads chopped off for believing in Jesus. But because we don't have it happening on our doorstep right now, does that mean it doesn't happen? Or does that mean that what Jesus says won't take place? It just means that we're living in a calm before the storm. That's all I think it means. You know, the calmest point in a cyclone is before it happens. It's so calm, you'd be going, what, are those radar guys right? They just told us there's this really powerful storm coming. But look, it's... Calm, so calm. Then all of a sudden the storm comes in and just takes everything away. Okay, Revelation 16, 15. Let's go there quickly. And this will be my last beatitude that I'll read today. Now this is an interesting thing, this scripture. I just want to set the scene for you. There's three lots of seven judgments spoken of in the book of Revelation. There's the seven seal judgments, then there's the seven trumpet judgments, and there's the seven bowls of God's wrath or vials of God's wrath judgments. These are all judgments that God pours out on the earth. Some people think that they're all separate. There's actually 21 separate judgments that take place. I personally believe there's only seven judgments, but it's been repeated for a reason. And uh, I'll go into that when I get to that part of the revelation because if I digress right now, you'll have me here for another half an hour. But I want you to just take careful note. This, even according to pre-trib teachings, pre-trib means pre-tribulational rapture teachings or, or um, anything to do with um, tribulational teachings, 
um, the seven bowls of God's wrath are considered the last of the seven. Now, if we get to the sixth bowl, if we go back to uh, verse 12 of chapter 16, and it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out and so on. Now, there's, that's a stuff that I'm going to have to talk to you about at length at another time. But that's the sixth bowl of God's wrath. There's only one more bowl to go, the seventh bowl of God's wrath, and that's it. The tribulation is over. And guess what God gives us right there, or Jesus gives us right at that moment, a beatitude. If we go down to 19, is that right? No, 15. Behold, I come like a thief. So he says, I'm coming like a thief. So he, he said that to, to the church. I'm coming like a thief. So sixth bowl, right at the end of the tribulation. He hasn't even come yet. He says, I'm coming. I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. So you, if you stay awake, I'll tell you what, if we're living in that point, if we're alive at the sixth bowl of God's wrath, stay awake. Don't fall asleep. I don't know how you could fall asleep anyway. And sleep meaning spiritually asleep. You have to stay spiritually awake. Don't assume that... Um, the things that are happening aren't the things that pertain to Scripture. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and shamefully exposed. So that means just be ready, clothed in righteousness, clothed in the robes of righteousness, clothed in good works, clothed with love that, that comes from Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? We've got to be like Christ, even at that time when the world is in absolute turmoil and brother is betraying brother to death and there's, death is everywhere. You've got to stay faithful in Christ and you've got to show love, mercy, forgiveness, all those things at that point. Right at the end of the tribulation. So that's proof that it's, it's I believe, in a post-tribulational rapture. I don't believe in a pre-tribulational or a mid-tribulational because that was a reference for the church to understand. So for those of you who know what I'm talking about, thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this, this message, and um, thank you for helping me to get through a couple of screens. I'm not completing the sermon today, but Lord, I know that you have uh, said what you wanted to say through me today, and I pray that every word that I did say was of you. Um, I pray that uh, the words that were said would have an impact on every single person here, and that we will... Um, it would have hopefully triggered us and moved us to want to live our Christian life in a stronger sense, live for you in a more devoted way. If we have doubts in our minds about anything in relation to the Bible or the church or to you uh, uh, in relation to God and your, your reality, if any of these things are a question in our mind, put a burden on all our hearts to seek after that truth to seek and find the truth, to not just leave it to chance, not just to push it away or bury it and forget about it. But I pray that you will move us to want to wanna look into these things deeper. And Lord, when it comes down to it, I believe these things that we're discussing now are the most important things that a human could look into. The reality, the reality and truth of the afterlife is the Bible true? Is God real? These things are the most important things a man can look into in his life or a woman.
And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'll make us all inquirers, that you'll make us not leave things, uh, you know, to chance, not to take a, a, an agnostic view and say, oh, no one can know the truth of these things and just forget about it. But, Lord, help us to, to really want to live according to the truth because, Lord, I believe that there is truth. I believe truth is absolute and that you can find absolute truth. And so I pray that you put that on every single person's heart to find absolute truth. Lord, just bless the rest of this uh, time together as a church. Bless the fellowship time. Uh, bless everything that takes place in um, our, the rest of our day and through the week. Cover us all in your precious blood, Lord, and put your angels around us and keep us strong in you. Keep us firm and steadfast. And, uh, and Lord, help us to continue to live for you and walk out our Christian life in you for the rest of our life. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.